Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. Uh, the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. I want to start with a question. Are you tired? Maybe not. Uh, maybe when you woke up this morning, you were rested and refreshed. Uh, maybe you thought about making a coffee, but you said to yourself, no, I feel so alive that like caffeine would be like pouring fuel on a fire. Maybe you stood in front of the mirror and your first thought was, man, I look so full of health and vitality, I scare my own self. Maybe that was your first thought, but maybe not. Because we live in a world where people are weary. A writer by the name of Lewis Grant says, our society is characterized by what he calls sunset fatigue. The idea is that people come home at the end of the day and those they love the most deeply who need their love the most end up getting emotional leftovers because we're just too tired or too drained or too fatigued or too preoccupied to love the people to whom we've made the deepest commitments. I wanna look real quick at some symptoms of sunset fatigue to see if you suffer from this. All right, here we go. Sunset fatigue symptoms. You have a continued sense of urgency and hurry. You find yourself rushing even when there's no reason to. Uh, you're often frustrated about not getting things done. You find yourself starting things, but you don't seem to get around to finishing them. Or there's a sense of time passing too quickly. Uh, the children are growing up too fast. Important life goals are going unfulfilled. Or there's an inappropriate self-destructive attempt to overcome fatigue with things like alcohol or shopping or overdosing on television or listening to country music. Uh, would you say you have at least one symptom of sunset fatigue? Or do you want me to just kind of hurry up and get on with the rest of the message? <laughs> uh, today I wanna to talk not about the kind of fatigue that can be made up with one good night's sleep. Uh, I don't wanna talk about the kind that comes from a day of strenuous exercise or good hard labor. I want to talk about what might be called soul fatigue, a weariness of spirit, uh, a heaviness of heart. When you're in this situation, you find you're not living up to the kind of life that you know God created you to live. You're not becoming the kind of person that you long to become. You're not living out your values. You're not living up to your beliefs because you simply lack the strength or energy or power. I believe hurry and rush and frantic activity and the resultant uh, soul fatigue that accompany them are the deadly enemy of spiritual life in our day in a way that they have not been in the history of the human race. I believe millions of people will never reach their full spiritual potential. They'll never come to know and trust God the way they were made to. They'll never exercise the kind of uh, regular ongoing worship that they were designed to uh, experience. They'll never devote themselves to developing the giftedness that God has given them. 
This will happen not because they defy God. It's not because they, you know, shake their fist in the face of God and walk away, but because they're just too fatigued and tired and preoccupied to follow him. I believe that in millions of cases, people will never become the kind of friend that they want to. They won't build into their family. They won't serve the poor. They won't engage in needed confrontations. Uh, They won't speak words of affirmation and love. They won't do great deeds, not because they don't believe in these things, but because they're just too tired. This is a real important point of spiritual life. You know, if the evil one can't get us to deliberately, openly disobey God, then he'll just make us busy. He'll make us unfocused and uh, like exhausted because either way, you end up missing out on God's will. Either way, you fail to become the person that God called you to be. I believe we live in a world where the pace of life and the inflated sense of expectations and desires and so on is simply insane. And as a result of that, we come to believe that soul fatigue is just normal, that it can't be escaped, that when someone is born, they just run and run and run until they drop dead at the end of their life. I want you to know, if you don't carry away, carry away anything else I say today, I want you to remember that weariness is not God's will for your life. Soul fatigue is not God's plan for the human race. Jesus came to teach us about another way. One day he looked at a group of people who were tired, quite like many people in our world are tired. And he said this, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And there's that word rest. That's what Jesus promised. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in spirit and you will find rest for your souls. God's intent was voiced long ago, uh, long before that by the Psalmist David. In, In some of the most famous words in scripture, David said in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. I'd like us to take this real seriously today. Uh, I believe God wants nothing more for us than to restore our souls. And in the time that remains in this message, I wanna look at two things. Uh, One is I wanna walk us through some signs of soul fatigue, some signs that you need rest. Uh, How do you know if you struggle with this? What are the indicators of it? And after that, I wanna go back to the opening lines of Psalm 23 and I wanna look at Uh, facets of soul restoring, uh, this soul restoring way of life that David mentions. First of all, what are some signs of soul fatigue? And I'm gonna walk through five of them. And I'd like to ask you to do kind of a checkup. Uh, I'll walk us through five indicators and I'll ask you to say, yes, I wrestle with this at least sometimes, or no, I never do. And so I'd actually ask you right now, if you would grab a pen and something uh, to write on um, so that you could actually evaluate yourself in each one of these five areas and just, you know, just say yes or no. Um, Unless you're too tired and exhausted, just grab a pen and paper. Uh, All right, signs of soul fatigue. The first one is constant rush. 
There's a frequent or ongoing sense that there's just not enough hours in the day. There are too many things that I have to do, too many responsibilities to be met, too many obligations to be carried out, too many things I want to do, and there just isn't enough time. Now, this is almost epidemic in our day. And it's true even though we are obsessed with going faster. Like we buy almost anything if, it, if its name promises to help us go faster. Uh, author Richard Swenson says, just take a look at our lives. We send packages by Federal Express. We use a phone service called Sprint. We manage our personal finances on Quicken. We diet with SlimFast and we swim in suits made by Speedo. We do all of this so rapidly and yet we're tortured by the sense that important things are going undone and tortured by this sense that there's just not margin for our lives. One thing goes wrong, one interruption, one delay, and we feel like we just can't catch up. There's this constant sense of feeling rushed or fatigued. Now I'd say more about this, but we don't have enough time. I just want to get on to the next one. <laughs> just indicate yes or no on this one. Do you ever wrestle with the sense of feeling rushed? It's hard to be fully present in the moment because you're just feeling this kind of preoccupied sense that you have more to do. A second sign of soul fatigue is choice overload. We are obsessed with wanting lots of alternatives and that we actually live in what experts in our time call choice overload. I mean, you look at the choice factor in our lives today compared to like a uh, hundred years ago, and it's just unbelievable. I mean, just take one very simple activity. A hundred years ago, if people wanted to buy potato chips, they had one option, Lay's potato chips. Today, there's like a hundred different chips to choose from in the chip aisle at the grocery store. I mean, just 50 years ago, there were only three TV networks. If you wanted to watch TV, you had to watch one of three networks. Today, you not only have hundreds of channels on cable TV, I mean, we have dozens of streaming services to watch thousands of shows. We live with choice overload and it wears us down. Another sign of soul fatigue is information overload. I get fatigued because I feel like there's so much information that I should be mastering that I'm not. We are the most informed people who have ever lived. Uh, let me ask you a question. Are we the wisest people who ever lived? I mean, we will go down as the most informed generation to this point in human history, but will people look back on this era and say, there was a group of men and women who had wisdom for living? I believe in our day, we've confused information with wisdom. Solomon, the writer of the book of Proverbs, the wisest person to ever live, put it like this, for wisdom is more precious than rubies and nothing you desire can compare with her. It's very interesting to me that he doesn't say information is more precious than rubies. He's quite specific. Wisdom is about knowing how to live and then living that way in a way that honors God and uh, conforms with the order that God has placed in reality. That's wisdom and wisdom comes slowly. You can't fast track wisdom. Wisdom doesn't come to a mind that is rushed and fatigued. Are you living with an increased sense of wisdom these days or are you on information overload? Another sign of soul fatigue is stagnant spirituality. 
This now begins to cut real deep. So honestly, how do you rate yourself on this one? Do you have a sense that things are stagnant in your relationship with God? It might look like this. Uh, my prayers are mostly hurried, mostly on the run. I'm not experiencing the presence of God in prayer the way that I want to, the way that I think it's possible or that I hope it's possible. My mind, if I'm truthful about it, is not being deeply formed and shaped by God's wisdom and his word. There are a thousand messages a day that bounce off of me. I'm not deliberately having my mind and my heart and my will and my emotions shaped by the word of God. I'm not experiencing the kind of character growth that I know I want. I don't want to get to the end of my life and still be wrestling with the same stupid junk and sin and destructive patterns that I wrestle with now. But the fact is, because things are going so fast and because I get so fatigued, my character is not really developing. I'm facing the prospect of, prospect of reaching the end of my life with a character in no better form than it is right now. Evaluate yourself on this one. All right, a final sign of soul fatigue is, and this one cuts real deep, it's decreased love. I think everyone wants to be loving. I think if we vote on this, no one would say, I want to become a less loving person. But I think soul fatigue is maybe one of the great barriers to love because then we have no more energy for caregiving or for acts of service. You know, people in service types of organizations talk about donor fatigue. Uh, people in volunteer organizations talk about a compassion fatigue. Uh, parents understand this kind of energy that it takes to parent well. And how often we face those moments where I think I know my child needs my attention, my conversation, my presence, my devotion, but I'm not able to give it. Like I don't have it to give. There are people whose hearts are in the right place. They want to give but they can't because they're empty. They lack the energy and the power and the strength to just love. They've already given it somewhere else. Soul fatigue is deadly serious business. It creates people who are constantly rushed, always behind, indecisive, superficial, unconnected with God and too fatigued to love. And here's the deal. We live in a society that produces such people by the millions. We live in a society that pushes people into a way of life that does not make sense. And you just get into this kind of default mode, obligations and work and pressures and time crunches and so on. You find your heart growing smaller and your spirit withering and your sense of joy evaporating and your ability to appreciate and experience awe and wonder disappearing. You're slowly turning into this person from whom life is just getting squeezed out and you never intended it. It's just the way the world works. You kind of drift or you float along and you end up this kind of person. We live in a society that produces lifeless people like it's an assembly line, but there's another way to live. This way is known by those who are wise in the ways of spiritual life. There's another way to do life, a way that gives life and doesn't steal it. Jesus himself said in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. 
I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The way of life is talked about in the Bible. It was expressed long ago in one of the most famous passages of scripture uh, that I've already referenced, Psalm 23. Uh, David is a king and a warrior and a real busy guy, and he has lots of pressure, more pressure than you and I will ever know. And he said, this is the way that he does life. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And then this most remarkable statement, he restores my soul. You know what I noticed as I studied this Psalm, uh, each one of those first four lines, those first four statements involves a kind of a choice point where David had to decide how he was going to live his life. And you and I have to decide how we're gonna live our lives. If you follow spiritual wisdom at each one of those four choice points, the result will be what is expressed in the final line. Your soul will be restored. And so I wanna walk us through those four lines and talk about what the alternative is. And then for each one of those lines, I wanna suggest a single word that kind of encapsulates the wisdom of David uh, that enables us to live the truth of these words. And so first of all, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And there's a real basic decision involved here. Have I put my life in God's hands? You know, a sheep just belongs to the shepherd. The shepherd will uh, put a mark on the sheep, like to mark it off, this is my sheep. And the sheep follows that shepherd. Have you made that decision? Like, do you ask God each day to shepherd you? The essential alternative here is to say, I have no shepherd. And therefore I have this constant anxiety of knowing that I'm on my own. I will face ultimate issues and problems, including death on my own. Life without a shepherd is a life of constant worry. Worry about the future, worry about my relationships, about my job, about my health, about whatever crisis I'm in and whether or not I will get what I want. Here's a very odd thing. Do you ever worry? Have you discovered that worry is a constructive life-giving way to deal with the future? <laughs> it just chokes the life out of us. It just kills us. And you look at people and you look at their faces and you'll find in our society, people whose faces and lives and hearts and souls are marked by constant worry. There's another way to do life. And that is to live in the constant care and protection of the good shepherd. Now, David understood all about shepherds. He was a shepherd himself, and he knew that the fate of the sheep depends on the quality of the shepherd. They're dependent that way. Uh, Philip Keller is a 20th century uh, shepherd who wrote about this Psalm 23 uh, based on his observation of sheep. This is what he writes. Sheep do not take care of themselves. Sheep require more attention and meticulous care than any other class of livestock. So this is a nice way of saying sheep are kind of dumb. <laughs> they need a shepherd. The good shepherd is always thinking about his sheep. What do they need? Uh, he's guiding them. He's caring for them. He's protecting them. He's watching out for them. He's looking out for their needs. And God will do that for you. He really will. He will shepherd you. If you want to live in the shepherd's care, 
If you want to have the God of the universe watching out and caring for and providing for and so on for you, then what I'd offer you in this area is the word ask. Just ask. James writes in James chapter 4, verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask God. This week, whenever you feel inclined to worry, and you will, when you feel that tug, just stop before you reflexively give in to ceaseless worry. Just stop and remember the good shepherd is right there. And instead of worrying, make it an adventure in asking. God, I'm worried about my family. Will you protect them? God, will you give me the strength for my work? God, I have a difficult decision to make. Uh, it may be the wrong decision. Bad things may happen. Will you give me the wisdom that I need? God, I need healing. Will you heal me? God, I need to have a hard conversation. Will you give me the strength to have it? This week, instead of just worrying, turn your worry into prayer and ask. I guarantee you, God will be there to shepherd you. He really will. He really does this. Well, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And then he goes on to make a remarkable statement. He says, I shall not want. And the language is a little archaic, but the idea is quite significant. The idea is that because the Lord is a good shepherd and cares and provides for me, I can go through life as a joyful, grateful, contented person. The alternative is chronic discontent, insatiable desire, and the never-ending unfulfilled quest of, uh, for satisfaction. And we live in a world that creates these people by the millions. In many respects, we live in an economy and a society that is built on the production of unquenchable desire. Some of the smartest people in the world devote most of their working hours thinking of ways to convince us of two things. One, you are or should be discontent. And two, contentment is just one purchase away. I mean, just look at advertising. Millions of products cry out to us, use me, buy me, eat me, wear me, try me, drive me, put me in your hair. I mean, they say to us, you will be happy if you had a bigger house or a newer car or a better income or better clothes or whiter teeth or fresher breath or a toner body. I mean, the discontentment that's promoted to your body alone is staggering. We can't look at media without finding ads for machines that will give us a body that we want. But I'll tell you what, the most powerful treadmill of all is the treadmill of insatiable desire. You get on that treadmill of insatiable desire and chronic discontent, and you can run as fast as you can for as long as you want, and you will never reach satisfaction. It will look like you're getting close to it, and then it's gone. And you'll run harder and faster and longer, and you will, uh, you will wear yourself out, and you will never get anywhere. There is another way to do life. There is a good shepherd who knows what you need and who knows what you don't need, who knows what is good for you and who knows better than you do what is bad for you. This way is to put your life in his hands. And I'll offer one word for living in contentment, I shall not want, and that word is simplify. Do you find that your life gets cluttered with stuff and activity and junk? What would your life look like if instead of this endless chase for what do I need to buy? What do I need to acquire? How do I need to 
change? What will bring me satisfaction? You just simply said, God, I'm just a sheep. You're my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not go through life in this endless frenzy of activity to try to get some external thing or to achieve some kind of external circumstance that will bring soul satisfaction. What if you just decide to live simply? You know, maybe you need to go through uh, your clothes and just find clutter and give it away. Maybe you need to go through your rooms uh, or the garage and just find clutter and get rid of it. Go through your calendar and find clutter, get rid of it. Maybe you're cluttered with financial commitments that are choking you. You're making payments you can't afford for things that you don't need. Get rid of them. Just simplify. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And I'm telling you, in a world of chronic discontent, to go through life in contentment, not wanting, man, it would be an oasis of sanity. Well, David goes on to say about the good shepherd, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, the alternative to lying down is frantic activity, um, constant busyness and overcommitted lifestyle. I think David uses very interesting and suggestive language here. He says, the good shepherd makes me lie down. You know, I have kids that won't rest sometimes even when they need to go to sleep. Uh, Sheep are like that. Sometimes sheep won't lie down to rest even when they need it. And generally there's a cause behind a sheep's restlessness. A Philip Keller writes about this. There are several conditions under which a sheep will not lie down. Sheep are real timid creatures. As long as they're afraid, they won't lie down. They won't risk resting. Because they're social creatures and there's sometimes tension in the flock, when two sheep are butting heads about who gets to be higher on the pecking order, they will not lie down and rest. Because they're creatures of appetite, if they're empty inside, if they're hungry, they will not lie down. They won't lie down until they're free of fear, free from friction, and free from hunger. They're a lot like us. Maybe you're afraid of what happened or what might happen or what will happen, and it's like robbing you of rest. Maybe you're in a relational conflict right now and the tension and the friction are such that you're just exhausted from it. You know, maybe you're hungry for love or intimacy or success or recognition, and it just leads you into frantic activity. It's real interesting what Keller writes. What gives the sheep assurance to rest is the presence of the shepherd. When there's a really good shepherd, then the sheep realize they have nothing to fear because someone is protecting them. Sheep grow quite confident in the presence of a good shepherd. David says, I have a shepherd like that. So even though I know that we live in a world where really bad things happen, uh, we can be quite confident in the presence of our shepherd. Keller writes about how sheep will sometimes get in fights over pecking order stuff. uh, But when the shepherd is present, if he manages them well, that foolishness just kind of stops. In the presence of a good shepherd, I talk about my relational conflicts and he brings peace. When I come to a good shepherd and I say, God, I'm empty, I'm feeling lonely, I'm feeling hurt, I'm feeling unloved. He says, you just remain with me for a while and I will fill your soul. Psalm 127.2 says, in vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. 
you know, work and activity and achievement are all very good. Uh, they're very important. But if you're doing it in a, a frantic way that robs you of rest, it's in vain. David says in Psalm 4, 8, I will both lie down and sleep in peace for you alone, O Lord, make me lie down in safety. What would your life be like if you got enough sleep all week? What kind of person would you be if you were just rested all week? Well, that can actually happen, but you'll need to do a few things differently. A, a doctor who has worked a lot with people that struggle with frantic activity suggests that at your business, you schedule one or two appointments with non-existent people, and then there'll probably be no-shows, and then you can just rest. And the word here is rest. You have to rearrange your calendar a little bit. You, you have to get creative with it, but you need to rest. You really can go through life as a rested person. And then David says, the good shepherd leads me beside still waters. An interesting thing about sheep is they get real nervous around noisy, fast running water because if they get pushed in or if they fall in, their wool gets saturated and it gets real heavy and they'll drown in the current. So sheep need water that is still and quiet. You know, we don't live in a still quiet world, do we? Wherever we go, we're surrounded by noise. But here's the thing, we're the noisiest culture in the history of the world but even when we have a chance to escape it, we don't. Because we don't just endure noise. We are addicted to it. We are addicted to it because when there's silence, well, then I have to come face to face with what's going on in my heart. What's going on in my life? What is there between me and God? And I don't wanna do that because I'm so used to the noise and the stimulation. Like that's just an easier way to live. You know, people go home and they turn on the TV even when they're not watching it. It's very interesting. There was actually a survey done that asked people, why do you turn on the TV? Like, why do you have your TV on in your home? You want to guess what the number one reason people have their TV on in their home is? Think it's noise. Like, think about that. Like, we don't get enough of it in the rest of our lives. So we go home and we have to turn it on to get more. The average American will spend 15 to 20 years of their life watching TV. I read a disturbing statistic. The average child at age six will have invested more hours watching TV than in speaking with his or her father over their entire lifetime. Like how many people go into parenting and say, my goal is to have my child by the time they're six years old have to have heard more words from a TV than they will have heard from their father until he goes to his grave. I mean, you tell me that's not insane. I think the real damage a TV does takes place not because of what's happening on the screen, but because of what is not happening because of the screen. People don't spend time in relationships. They don't spend time talking. They don't spend time connecting. They don't spend time loving. They don't spend time doing the things that they were created by God to do. And the irony is, you know, we watch TV because we're tired and we just kind of want to collapse for a while. But does it restore you? When was the last time you woke up in the morning and said, last night I sat in front of the TV from the time I got home until I went to sleep. And today I feel so rejuvenated and energized. It doesn't happen. So here's a challenge. Take a break from TV for a while. Do a TV fast. Do a media fast. 
And historically, people who are wise about spiritual life, uh, one of the practices they would engage in is fasting, usually fasting from food. And I think if Jesus were in our day, he would teach us about fasting from media, just to abstain from the noise for a while. So I'd like to invite you to do that. Just practice being still. And I'm not gonna tell you how long that fast needs to be. Maybe for you, it's just today or tomorrow to realize that you can go a day without it. Maybe it's a week, maybe it's a month. Just decide and then don't watch TV at all. Don't watch YouTube or Netflix, nothing. Just unplug it. Just let the time and the space be silent. And the word here is silence. You know, when you're in the car, maybe tomorrow, instead of turning on music or turning on talk radio, just allow there to be silence. Now, if you do that, it will be uncomfortable at first, but God will be there. If you learn to practice silence, being quiet, being still, the good shepherd will speak. And here's the deal. God wants to shepherd you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live on this earth to teach us about another way to live. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus said, I will teach you about another way to live. And Jesus was so serious about this that he was thinking about how to describe his concern for the human race. And he said, I am the good shepherd. That's the metaphor he used, surely with David's words in mind. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus loved you so much, he laid down his life for you. He went to the cross for you. That's how badly he wants to shepherd you. So will you let him do it? You know, let's make this week an adventure in it. Let's make this week about asking him to shepherd us instead of worrying. Let's make this week about uh, simplifying instead of wallowing in chronic discontent. This week, let's rest sometimes instead of always running in frantic activity. This week, let's turn off the noise and just be still and sit in the silence and the good shepherd will become more real to you than ever before and your soul will begin to be restored. All right, let me pray for you. God, I pray that this Psalm would be real in our lives this week as we go out and practice what we've discussed today. God, would you meet us there? And would you continue to teach us? And would you continue to shape us and mold us into the kinds of people that you want us to be? That's kind of like upside down from the ways of this world. Help us to follow your ways and your truth and find joy and fulfillment there. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.